Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of Commitment Matters. Well, we have a lot of ground to cover today because for a while now, there's been a couple of buzzwords humming around our industry. Well, in all industries, really. Those words are innovation and disruption. And frankly, sometimes those words can be overused or used in a way to create fear, uncertainty, and doubt. We're assuring you that you will have no job in the near future because blockchain. Or they can be used to make wild promises of a work life transformed into a perfectly efficient and highly profitable utopia. Some of those uses of the words are accurate. Some are pie in the sky and some are worst case scenario. But before you roll your eyes thinking this episode will try to scare you or shame you into thinking that you're a relic in an industry of relics, let me assure you, today's guests are not about that. Chris Hacker and Steve Hargraves are the co-founders of ShortTrack. The way they view innovation is as a method to help you avoid disruption. They noticed some problems in the marketplace that needed shoring up, and they set about to do just that. These are problems you will recognize, like slow to no communication between realtors and title agents during the contract period, or how to easily capture a realtor's business without having to deploy or train realtors on how to work in your system. Then later they learn to look out on the side of the consumer transaction and help you more easily obtain the key information you need from those consumers. And then they also figured out how to help you deliver wiring instructions more safely and securely. Now, Chris is the Chief Technology Officer at ShortTrack, and you've no doubt seen him present at conferences. He has a BS in Chemical Engineering and a JD. Steve has a BS in Biochemistry. He started out in the pharmaceutical industry and then spent six years on the ground in real estate development, property management, and distressed services. Together, these guys help paint a clear view of why digital solutions are important for your company's health and growth. but in a practical way. I appreciate their clear-eyed view of what the problems in the marketplace are, which ones have digital solutions, and which remain a deeply manual process. They don't predict the end of your world. They don't think you're hopeless if you haven't already adopted these solutions. And they don't expect you to already know everything there is to know on the subject. Now, whether or not their specific services are right for your organization isn't something I can predict. Chances are at least some of it would be helpful. But I think what's especially key to listen for in this episode, in addition to all that, is to hear the thought processes that technologists use when they set about to solve a market problem. And the reason that's important is that I have no doubt there are some problems in your operations today that frustrate you to no end. And you might wonder, well, why hasn't someone fixed this yet? But you might not feel comfortable starting that conversation with a provider. I mean, let's face it, talking tech can be as painful and unpleasant as having your root canal procedure narrated for you. I mean, sorry tech pals, but it's true. Yet if you can zoom out and see how something like middleware, and yes, they explain what middleware is, and how something like middleware can stand in a gap and solve problems that might at first blush seem unsolvable, that can help you frame up the conversations you might need to have regarding the problems you need to find solutions for. So please enjoy my conversation with Chris Hacker and Steve Hargraves. Chris and Steve, thank you so much for joining us on Commitment Matters. We're thrilled to have you here today. Thrilled to be here. 
a few buzzwords, a few buzz phrases that are going on pretty prevalently in the industry today are industry disruption and industry innovation. And those are kind of big tents that a lot of things fall with under. But I wanted to start by talking about those two. Are agencies today more like taxi cabs were in the 2000 or are they more like the hotel industry was in the early 2000? Chris, what are your thoughts on that? It's uncertain yet. Money is coming in and trying to see if somebody's going to come up with an Uber that's going to displace everybody on the taxi cabs or it's going to be more like Airbnb. It really depends on what choices title agencies and, and their underwriters make. There's some interesting data looking at the first year of the pandemic as far as who thrived and who didn't. The one like major thing that stood out to us was that the companies that increased their revenue were companies that accelerated their technology adoption plans. The ones that maintained their plan, they didn't accelerate it, fared no better than the ones that actually backed off. Both of them you know, had a, ten, you know, a significant tendency to lose revenue uh, year over year. Really highlights the need that somebody's going to do something. Whether it actually ends up being a disruption is a question of how much is the, are the agencies accelerating technology adoption on the next period. That's an interesting study because you guys probably hear a lot. I know we hear a lot agents saying, yes, we're on an innovation path. We have sort of our roadmap laid out. And it sounds like what you're saying that the pandemic for reasons was really an accelerating catalyst to just keeping that normal before pandemic prescribed roadmap is at least as detrimental as not having a roadmap. Like if you don't take that opportunity to completely fast forward and capital I innovate, you're not going to fare very well. Is that what you took from that? Organizations are going to get left behind. That means it's not like they'll lose share, not to be the like doom and gloom guy, but if you aren't leaning in further than you already were and it doesn't look good, Well, we have to talk about innovation because companies are thinking about that every day. And there are certainly a whole sky full of innovative opportunities. And I think sometimes agents get a little bit overwhelmed understanding which ones to choose from, which ones are going to make more sense, which are more passing flights of fancy. But their key goal is to try to stay ahead or get ahead of their competitors. So what kinds of things do you see agents being asked for by different stakeholders in the transaction that we can talk about? Steve, what do you think? That's a great question. And to continue on what Chris said earlier, in being part of the digital revolution, you have to have a process behind whatever you're implementing. And it just can't be something bright and shiny because you'll still get left behind. You got to focus on products and opportunities that are, are providing value, providing efficiencies, providing security. And then ultimately you're answering to your customers, right? So who are the customers? You've got realtors, lenders, consumers, and they all kind of ask for the same thing. They want visibility, responsive communication. That depends on what they want. You may have a buyer that wants a text message or a digital native person that wants to only go into a portal of some sort, right? So it's the ability to communicate with them. That key thing that Steve was just saying, you know, is that the answer to the question of like, how do you stay ahead really is in what context, right? What a realtor is looking for versus what a consumer is looking for versus what a lender is looking for. Realtors don't want to leave their software. They don't want to go into some other software, not your software, not somebody else's software, just theirs. 
same way that the title company, like the employees want to stay in the title production software as much as possible. The lenders, they want that same responsive communication, but they want it to show up in their platform of choice. They expect it to show up there, which right now, absent some other option, looks like you logging into theirs. Same thing with consumers. They may or may not want a text message, but they definitely want to know what they want to know when they want to know it on demand. Those are very different outcomes and require very different solutions, but fundamentally they're all addressing the same need. Right, right. We've been told for years that millennials are coming and at first we kind of thought, oh God, they're 12 years old. They can't, no. And then we heard, no, really the millennials are coming, but we all had them living in our basements and they were at that point in time rejecting the ownership of anything. So we just kind of kept rolling our eyes and we thought, you know, that's the cohort that's really going to push us forward from an innovation and technology standpoint. Because And they're going to require it because they are digitally native, their minds, that's just the way they're used to having things. But we thought they're never going to show up. And they've said they don't want to buy, they don't want to know anything. It feels like all of a sudden that changed. And what did I read the other day that the millennials make up what percent of the first time home buyers is like, 63% of first-time home buyers. So they're here. They absolutely do, from my experience anyway, require that sort of communication. Do you guys find that true in your world as well? Yeah. And it's not just from a consumer, right? Those are the employees at the lenders, right? Those are the realtors. That's a you know, very to some good extent. point. They're not um, just buyers. So they're other stakeholders too. Yeah, they're all across the place and the boomers are retiring. And we know that that's the other aspect, right, that we've been talking about for the last 20 years, that this demographic shift is going to happen. Well, it's, we're in the middle of it right now. And to your point, it's showing up in a meaningful way. Not only are they part of the workforce now, but now they're part of the, the consumers that this industry services. At the end of the day, they have certain expectations. It's definitely one of those things that it moved really slowly and then happened all at once. And that's also, I think, related to the McKinsey study about the pandemic and the disruption. That's why you're seeing the people who leaned in and embraced the opportunity to accelerate their digital expansion saw the growth that they did because they're serving this unmet need in their various industries for these digital natives that are now carrying the share of wallet mm -hmm. that they represent now mm -hmm. is enormous. Mm -hmm. People have been talking about going digital for a while and at different times along the way it's meant different things going digital used to mean get all those back files scanned in and put into your archive software or it might have meant don't print out the whole loan package do what you can only print out the few you need so it's meant different things at different times and i'm wondering what you guys think it should mean today chris do you want to pick up and talk about that if you would for the last three to five years, when people here go digital, what they immediately envision inevitably is e-closings, whatever the flavor, you know, Ron, Rin. Pick an acronym. Yeah, exactly. But one of the things that our focus really in talking to our customers the last year to 18 months has really been about how are you accelerating? You can't accelerate e-closings. They either are or they aren't available. And to the extent that they aren't available, that's a regulatory process. Right. Right. So you can't do anything about it. You just have to do the things you need to do so that you're ready to jump in when they become available. But past that, there's no forward movement possible. So if that's the case, and that's what it's meant to go digital in prior years, this year to really accelerate, you need to look at the rest of your operation, not just the closing. To put a positive spin on that, I mean, it's great we have our shoot for the moon strategy now, right? So that's what Ron is. Now the goal is to get to the moon. And along the way, we're going to figure out 
Tang. I don't know. It's probably not the best example I could come up with, but we're going to take William Shatner up a little bit first and bring him back down. We'll see how that goes. Then we'll do the Tang. Then we'll get to the moon. Yeah. Now we're shooting for the moon. There's a lot of things that the title agents can do. Like everything is on paper and the title industry is behind. And that's the opportunity is to digitize things. Go paperless. Start there. You can go to email, but try to avoid email for security reasons, right? Taking the next step, there's all these things we need to do. And then ultimately, you're looking at how you're, as a title agent, you're presenting yourself to your customers, the buyers and sellers and your lenders. They want the digital experience. So are you presenting them with text messages? Are you presenting them with digital options to complete things, a digital way to see what's going on in the process? The opportunity here is to connect everyone as well. Right. So while we're all trying to figure out how to get towards Ron, everyone is trying to figure out their spot in this mix. Connecting everyone is really going to be where we're going to get pedal to the metal, putting some gas on this and, and moving forward because everyone brings something to the table. And that's kind of where middleware comes in. And Chris likes to talk about that. There's all sorts of things that can be done that would remove time and let people focus on high leverage activities. Right. Everybody needs to collect information. Right? You have a new closing. Great. I don't know your middle name. I don't may not have your social. I need to know a bunch of procedural questions about how you're planning on doing this transaction. But here you have a 35-year-old first-time home buyer who does online banking, works remotely, and they're buying their first place, and they get an email with a PDF attached to it saying, I need you to print this out and fill it out and then scan it and send it back to me. You want me to do what? I take pictures of it with my phone? Like that's it doesn't make sense. Why isn't that being collected digitally? And not only if it's collected digitally, then they get the email, they click on something and they're on their phone and they're filling it out right there and then. And then with, you know, various e-signature solutions, you know, like they could be signing stuff right there and then. I mean, imagine what that does, not just to your turnaround time, but also to your capture rate, right? How many of those do you actually have to follow up on now? Because it was simple. And yeah, you're going to get some people on the other end of the spectrum who are going to have trouble with it, just like you're going to have with any new process. Again, back to the, how are you satisfying your various stakeholders' desires? From a realtor's perspective, they want the stuff to show up in their software. What if there was a way to connect it? Middleware is not something, some magic thing. It's software that sits in the middle between two or more applications, hence middleware. Tying those softwares together, making them be able to speak to each other. Lenders are moving more and more to having various collaboration portals to tie into their LOS systems, but you have to log into it. Well, what if that LOS system talked to your title production software, right? What if stuff just showed up? Well, anytime any group of professionals gets together and talks about how can we service you better, it invariably comes down to the art of communication. We could do better. In fact, I could go on the road as a consultant and I could walk into any office that had any trouble and I would be completely accurate if I said, you know, at the root of this is a communication problem. And so you could spend two days doing a study on that. That's what you're going to come up with. How are we going to communicate better? Middleware can be key in that, right? Because you can sit in the middle between the systems, shuffle the pertinent information back and forth. Ultimately, what's the problem? How do we identify it? How do we fix it? Communication, exchange of data. How do we understand that data? It's a secondary but important problem. Large volume needs to involve technology and software. And so that takes us straight to integrations, right? And traditionally, that meant that software A, title production software A, talks with service provider or vendor B, and they connect to each other. And then it's like, oh, well, I need to talk to vendor 
vendor C. It's this repetition over and over and over again. And the idea of middleware is that there's an opportunity for something like ShortTrack to say vendors B through E can connect to us. We're already connected to the title to the RAM quest. And now we can make them talk. Okay. So let me run a scenario and you can tell me if this is a good scenario for what you're talking about or not. So Realtor has their software that they order their life from and keep track of everything and that's all going on fine. And the title company has their title production software where their corollary actions, what's where they live and breathe. So a common complaint from a title agent is that at some point in the process, after title's been ordered, sales price was 400, then through the inspection period, it goes up to 420. A common complaint from a title agent is they don't get that addendum to the contract changing the sales price till the last minute. And they didn't know they were drawing everything on the original 400000 And that's one of the examples I think that a title agent would say, you know what we really need is better, quicker communication. So arguably, the real estate agent would have changed that contract price in their system because that's what all of their closing-related documents are coming from. That's what the commission's going to be calculated on. So I'm willing to bet that they're very quick to change that in their system. They're less quick to let the title settlement agent know. So is that something that a middleware, like you're talking about, that connects the title production system and the realtor's production system, is that the kind of efficiencies and gains that you're able to contribute to? That is an excellent example, Mary. A cancellation is another great example. Like a title company has been working on a file and they find out six weeks into the, like, wait a second, that was canceled. And what a middleware can do is, without thinking, right, it's connected to in this case, the real estate software and the title software, that real estate agent, even if they don't update their software, they're adding a document, right? A signed document with an addendum, right? That document can be automatically transmitted to the title agent. The title agent will see it, even if the real estate agent forgets about it. So now they know what's going on. They don't show up to the closing and then there's realize the purchase price is different. We're going to pause for a moment for the escrow officers to weep with joy because they are weeping with joy at hearing that. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. We just had to give them a moment to give a wahoo. Woohoo! All right, I'll do one. <laughs> yeah, and the same holds true for cancellations or any other important document. And you know, just to not let it go by the wayside, but there's there's a security aspect to this too that isn't present. Email is inherently not secure, right? Even if you're using email encryption or secured email, I always use a FedEx example. You drop a package off at FedEx. It's secure. It's in the FedEx truck. It's secure in transit. FedEx driver shows up at your house. You're not at home. They lay it on the front doorstep. It's no longer secure. Right. So last mile. Yeah. <laughs> so software to software is always secure. The contract itself is non-public personal information. So that's an inherent value in addition to, to using middleware. And I think that's so important because many realtors do not yet fully understand that that executed contract is NPI, it's non-public information and must be protected just like you were sending around the seller's social security number or the buyer's employment information. It is non-public personal information. Starting a few years ago, we came up with a mission statement for ShortTrack was that we want to be the secure conduit for all real estate transactions. I mean, that's really what it's about, is about letting people interact in the way that they want to interact that works for them while letting you do the same thing. The problem to, up until now has been that everybody's been ex trying to externalize 
to use the economic phrase, right, the cost of their preferred way on other people. I don't want to do that, but you should. Right. That's been kind of the tug of war, hasn't it? Right. And so this middleware approach is to say everybody can have their cake, right? It provides these opportunities for efficiencies, for differentiation, competitive advantage, all of those things, and does it in a way that doesn't require some specific kind of compliance and behavior from the third party. If anyone is still kind of confused to what middleware does or what middleware can do, we have a DocuSign integration and it allows a title agent to do something, click a button in RamQuest and send something for DocuSign. It gets e-signed and it comes right back into FileScan. And when the pandemic started, this became one of the most popular requests we received because adoption for title agencies that wanted everyone to use DocuSign or an e-signature, like no one wanted to leave their title software to do it. But if no one had to learn anything new and just do something in their software and it just happened, all of a sudden adoption increases, right? You can do the right things as a title agency and adopt the right products as an organization, but then you have to get everyone bought in. And having a way to do that that is familiar to your employees helps with adoption. It actually helps you do those things. Otherwise, everyone will go back to the old way of using email. I think that most agents know they need to be doing more digitally. But what do you think holds them back? What do you guys hear from them as to why they're maybe a little slower than they want to be or know they should be? We've seen two dimensions to it. There's, who are we talking to? On one extreme, the digital title agent, right? They've been adopting things. Okay. They've adopted everything they can get their hands on. Can't find a piece of paper in their office. Right, and the question there really that they're you know, struggling with is how much digital is too much? Okay. Right? Do I need this next thing? When do I stop? Haven't I done enough? Right. Yeah. And on the other extreme, you've got the analog title agent. They basically, you some version of my staff and customers get along fine without all this digital stuff. If ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, why should I bother? Right? The other dimension is who are we talking to? Who's the one that's asking the question? Is it leadership or is it operations? Like the, the actual people doing the day-to-day detailed work that you know is implicated. So let's break those down. What are the concerns of leadership? Why should I do it? Security, right? You need keep need to up your game with security. Everybody saw the you know the ransomware attacks and that sort of thing. Getting stuff out of email means that your people are getting less emails, and that means less opportunity to click on something that either is going to be a phishing attempt to steal their credentials or launch something into your your network that will lock you out. Of course, you know, God forbid. So the more you know, application to application communication you have, the less opportunity there is for somebody, a third party to enter the stream. Efficiency is another big one, but people don't tend to buy efficiency, but they benefit from it. If you can shave five to 15 minutes off of every file you take in, what's that worth to you? We've talked to some groups. I mean, that's in the seven figures a year alone. Just that one, if you could just shave that time off, not just in pay, but downstream consequences and that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah, and sometimes that's even longer. And for anyone that's looking to convince leadership that they need to make changes, I think the best thing to do is maybe walk them into someone's office where there are piles of paper and ask that person, what are those piles of paper for? Documents I need to get to the seller or the buyer to fill out so we can start a search, right? Well, why have you done that? Well, I'm still following up with the people who haven't gotten theirs back to me, right? So is that five minutes you're saving? That's a lot more. And, and so having live examples like that and, and seeing what's going on is a great way to, to convince, like we, we need to do something here to move forward. And those things tie up together and back to the, the third reason, which is competitive advantage, right? 
If you can have the more frictionless experience, then you will do better. If it takes less effort to do business with you, then you'll have more business, more repeat business. And all of those things together, the security, the efficiencies, you know, which directly ties to bottom line revenue and generally the competitive advantage overall. Right. So that's some of the thoughts and hesitancy that leadership might have. What sort of thoughts or hesitancy do you see coming up through the operational ranks? So if you're talking to leaders about the operation, what you hear is my people won't adopt this. They won't do it. How about this one? If I ask one more item of change from my staff, they're going to stand up and walk out. We deal with some of the same things in our business. That said, this is table stakes. And the blunt response is, this is what it takes to have a functioning business. And if we want to continue to work together because we have a business, then this is what we need to do. Because if we don't do these things, none of us are going to have a job because we're going to go out of business. It's not going to be next week. Might not even be this year, but it's going to happen. It's inevitable conclusion of not making these changes. And having change happen more rapidly than you're accustomed to historically is just the nature of the world that we're in now. And if you can't deal with that, if you can't adapt to that, you're going to have a hard time, not just in our industry, just in general, right? That's just the world we're in. And that would fall in one of those uncomfortable truths. At the end of the day, there's no benefit long term to not addressing that. And if you don't do the things because you're afraid people are going to leave and the business leaves you, you've lost. Go back on some earlier points is when we first entered the industry, we were focusing on getting people to use portals to securely deliver documents, you know, outside of email encryption. And we lost potential customers because we insisted that to download something from the portal, you needed a password, bare minimum. And it was like five years ago, right? Where... Everyone just wanted a link. No, we're not going to put you at risk. Well, I need this. And it was one of the things we stood on. It's amazing how far we've come. And if you don't make the right changes, you're opening yourself up for something bad to happen from a security standpoint. It's all about keeping customers and getting new customers. So how do you present yourself in a way that's more digital and forward thinking? And everyone will come along. It just takes time. And you just try to make it easier. (laughs) I don't know how to put more medicine on this. So... (laughs) You're describing the solution to a very common problem, which is these digital things that have been out there in the past. I am being a title agent now. I really don't want to subscribe to that because my realtor doesn't want to learn how to log into my system and maneuver within it. And the lender certainly doesn't. The lender actually wants me to log into their system and do work over there. And there's all this. So by making these different systems talk to each other, by sitting in the middle, you've ironed out so many of those legitimate hesitancies about why digital 1.0 solutions weren't going to be widely adopted. Or if they were, they were not going to deliver the efficiencies advertised versus, hey, your two systems are going to talk. You keep working in yours that you know and understand and can zoom around in blindfolded at a thousand miles an hour. We'll do the same in ours. And we're going to be able to conduct business, to your point, quicker that way, more secure, a higher degree of professionalism in the manner in which you do it. So we've talked around a couple of different scenarios Let's list some points that your middleware sits in the middle of. So we talked about between the 
realtor software and the title production software. So what kinds of things are coming out of the realtors production software and coming into the title production software and back and forth? I just want to go through sort of each of these places you sit in the middle so that people can have an illustration of what kinds of things you're handling. Excellent. Yeah. And I think a great place to start is, you know, where does a realtor start? Like everything they're doing is digital. Well, for the most part. Right? So they're listing their properties for sale on the MLS and selling agents are looking for properties there. And then once they come together, a showing is scheduled digitally. And then when it comes time for filling out a contract, their contracting software downloads the information from the MLS to auto fill out that contract. And then when it comes time to get a signed agreement, it gets e-signed. It's an entire digital experience. And that data is there, right? It's been data the whole time. And now you're coming to do a title order with the title agent and you turn that into a PDF. Now let's try to take this document, make it data again. We'll talk to people who are looking at developing OCR software to get that data back out of that PDF. It's like, it was already data. Right. And But now once you get that PDF, a human has to key it back in to make it data again. That human's at the title agency side. The data we're collecting is most often as a purchase price because there's a contract. Then you're going to have a buyer, seller, their role, their name, and their email. Sometimes you get phone numbers. Again, we're working with what a real estate agent is giving you, but they need that information to get a contract DSAT. So you've got that collection of data, maybe even a proposed closing date, and then the documents that are involved in the transaction. And so that's the data that is gonna help create the order, and then the documents are gonna go in and you'll get continuous updates, whether it's addendums, cancellations, et cetera. So you've got an order coming in, it's getting created, nobody's touching it right? It's just, it's opening. You're changing the activity from order entry to order verification and maybe filling in some holes. So that's more of an audit than a starting from scratch. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then if you tie in the next step, the welcome package, what if that's digital too? And you click a button, then the, those digital requests go out and the consumer and the realtor, whoever, you know, whoever you decide you needs to, go to fill something out, gets a request to do so that they can complete on their phone right? You might have all the information within 24 hours and have it in the PDF format as well, as well as it was raw data with signatures. Okay. Right. What does that do to your commitment turnaround time? Oh my gosh. Right. Yes. There's all sorts of automation there as well. You just need a couple of extra pieces of data. And imagine being able to have it, the system for intake automated such that you have a full picture of the initial state of the transaction within 48 hours. And you've turned around everything, not only that, so not only do you have that picture, but you've generated the documents for the title commitment and you've pushed it back to the realtor. It's already in their software. They're not looking for an email from you. They just go and log into their system and there it is. There it is. Okay. Same thing with the lender too, as a possibility, right? And vice versa. And to the extent that there are things that you need to do in their platform or in particular is generally the way that would go. Imagine you're in RamQuest and you're having a, a fee discussion, right? You know, remotely. Okay. Instead of having to go open your browser, find the link, remember your username and password, log in, find the thing. What if there was a message, a note that got added to the file with a link that was good for a period of time that you clicked on and you just went in and answered the question and it's just as secure because it happened in real time and because it happened through this, this secure connection. Nobody can go get that link unless they have access to your title production software, right? And the fact that it's in your software is what validates that it's is accurate. And if it's out of date, you get a new one. 
right? Like, sorry, this one's no good. Go check again. Go back into your notes. There's the new one. You click that. Now you're in and you're done. Like, no passwords. Now you can do the no password thing, right? So there's all sorts of benefits, you know, real, immediate, on the line benefits for the people who are having to do these things, both in terms of things they don't have to do anymore, things they don't have to remember, things they don't have to find, and then you know being notified of things that they don't normally find out about until they ask for it. So it eliminates a lot of follow-up. It eliminates a lot of those things. The trade-off you know, is, is that you have to adopt it. Adoption and implementation are always at least a little bit painful because it requires changing processes and learning some new steps. Now, not as big in the situation that you're describing as learning someone else's software so you can do your work over there, which is what has been the ask traditionally. While there's still some pain to it, it's what you're describing sounds much less painful. If you can get people to accept that this is table stakes for this world. This is a table stakes for the job. That at the same time, you know, something Steve pointed out to me, the good providers are not providing you with a one size fits all solution, right? Because your process is your process. Now, what we've found, having been at this for a while, is that you're probably not a snowflake, right? But we like to feel like we are. Oh, then that's perfectly fine. It's not that you're not unique right? It's that your uniqueness follows certain patterns. Right. Right. And you've taken a, a set of these, these patterns and put them together, maybe in a unique way. A vendor who's good at what they do, especially in this kind of thing, can identify, okay, you're using pattern A and combined it with pattern one, along with pattern star, and you've done it in that order. And those things add up to your process. Right. And that's a unique combination. And you're still a snowflake, but not to me. We can identify those patterns and go, okay, you know what? We can handle 80% of what you're doing by you not handling it anymore. I'm glad you brought that up because I do think a lot of people pause at, well, we do things so differently here. And my shop in Missouri is going to, it does, has a different process than my shop in Kansas. And that's because the market requires it there. So we probably can't automate. We should probably just keep doing our manual processes. So you mentioned now sitting in the middle between the title agency and the consumer, you mentioned getting some documents signed. You mentioned getting your intake sheet, the information they need to give filled out. What other kinds of things does this allow for a more seamless interaction with the consumer? I mean, wiring instructions? Yeah, that's where one of the places we started years ago. Every title software has a method for delivering documents via a portal. They all work. Some people want to use that. Some people will use our system for certain things. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's all about having a single consistent way, right? So that as people that you are you know, work with regularly, but also people who like the buyer, first time home buyer, you're like, you know, not likely to see them again for five to seven years, if at all, right? So there needs to be a single consistent way that you're interacting with them. That should include how you're delivering documents. It's you know, a way of creating trust, right? There it is. So if I have to get my documents from over here, how do I know it's you, right? Yeah. That's assuming that I'm even paying attention about whether it's you or not. And we talk almost every episode about how someone is always trying to impersonate someone somewhere in a real estate or refinance transaction. And the key thing, how are they doing it? What's the method that they're using? It's email, right? Bing, bing, bing. And so from Go, I mean, look, email is always going to be involved. There's just no way around it. 
But if your messaging is always, I'm never going to give you anything via email, and that's in the email, and then they get an email saying, here's something. That's going to make them at least suspicious. At least give them a fighting chance. That's the place where a portal may actually have value for a consumer, right? I go here. Wherever here is, I go here. Whether that's your website that's got a back end that you know accepts and has the security around it, whether it's the something provided by your title production software, whether it's something like what we have, we don't care from our perspective. We just want to facilitate the secure exchange of those documents. Well, and I think if people learned anything during the pandemic, it was the concept that, you know what, we're not going to use all the horsepower of all of our technologies every time on every transaction because everybody doesn't want it served the same way. However, what they realized very quickly is for those people who want it this way, or we get into a situation like a pandemic or Lord only knows what's coming up next, locusts, I don't know, famine, that you can't accelerate and ramp up if you don't have the processes and programs in place. And then what happens is you get put on a long line waiting list because now everybody's, there's the demand rush for it. So to your point and back to the study, those who were able to, who had something already in place and just ramp it up to a larger scale, turn out to be the real winners. Yep. That's absolutely right. Just to clarify something for anyone out there who's asking them themselves a question, how are these guys a middleware and a portal, right? That's a good question, yeah. Yeah, well, we kind of look at ourselves as like the Miranda rights of portals. It's like, yeah, <laughs> you have a right to one, but if you don't have one, we'll provide you with one. Got it. Right, so how are we gonna deliver a document to a consumer or a questionnaire or things like that? There is something they log into securely that they can access, but the title agent never has to use another portal. I see. I just want to clarify that. Thank you for that clarification. That's important to understand. Well, it sounds like people coming out of this will see that there's a real opportunity for someone to sit in the middle between stakeholders in the transaction. And I think we've given a fair idea of generally how that works. And now what they're going to do is they're going to leave this discussion. They're going to think, okay, I have this area of communication between stakeholders that could be more smooth or more timely or offered in different ways, but they're not going to have the first idea of whether they have everything they need in place to make that happen. Do you guys consult with people about what their existing process are and, and draw out some opportunities for them to consider? Or how do you handle that? If someone knows, I think there's some things we should be doing better, but I don't know which exactly ones are easiest or where I should start, or am I the snowflake that can't be benefiting from this? How do you guys handle that aspect? Well, I would say it'll start off with an initial discussion to see whether or not you fit in our hamburgers and fries menu, right? And if, if you're looking for a sundae or a nice coffee or a specialty sandwich, okay, then I bring in the big guns and that's where Chris comes in. And then Chris starts playing with his virtual Legos and builds a project for you. We're not trying to be all things to all people. In terms of consulting, we don't formally consult, but we definitely follow a consultative process, right? What is it that you're trying to do? You know, what problem are you trying to solve? I say, if they can articulate the problem, you can let them know if you have a solution, right? They don't have to have an idea what the solution should look like. No, in fact, even if they do, that's great. We'll listen to it. And then we may propose a different solution. 
And I think that's where a lot of people get intimidated. They either think, I don't know how to solve this, so I can't tell them what I want. And a lot of people don't understand. All they have to do is say what the problem is. Right. Figure out how to fix it. Well, and even short of that, like not everybody can articulate the exact problem, but they can articulate the pain. We take away, not only take away the pain, but you end out ahead of where you would have been. It's not that like we're geniuses or something. We've just had the opportunity to see this over and over and over again. Everybody has the same kinds of problems, right? They're new to you, but they may not be new to everybody. Right. Well, and I think another important part of that is that, for example, if we have a toothache, we don't go to the dentist already having diagnosed the cause of our toothache. We go, my tooth hurts. Dentist, tell me what needs to happen here. But I think people get intimidated about approaching technologists and innovators that way because they think they should know exactly what they want to have built. And since they don't know, I'll just not bring it up. They get intimidated by it. And I think the way you guys make this more approachable, it becomes a problem-solving exercise, not a technology exercise. So you cover most of the market, and that's great. So you can be a problem-solver for most anybody in the industry, it sounds like. That's our goal. Yeah. One thing, just as an aside, realtors, you may may notice there's a big change this year. The National Association of Realtors ceased providing digital forms to its members. And that means that those are all being handled at the state or local level for associations. And it's created quite a bit of disruption and changes in the softwares that people are using. So there's a few thought you knew what people were using for software at the realtor level, you may want to check. In terms of direct impact to you, like direct immediate impact to you, there are things like, you know, if people are going back to paper temporarily. Yeah, I know it's uh, hard to believe, but you know, that's a possibility. More likely though, is it's an opportunity, right? Because if people are changing up software, now's the time for you to go and talk to them about ways that you can work with them with their new software. That's really good information. I'm not sure everyone listening would have been aware of that. So thank you for pointing that out. Again, I think people can get a little wrapped around the axle of, oh, it's technology and I don't know what questions to ask. I don't know what words to say when it sounds like all they need to do is tell you about their business and you will help them craft their way to to something that is actually effective and utilized as opposed to just a lovely tech thing that sits on the shelf. Yep collecting dust. (laughs) Well, thank you both very much for talking us through this and for shedding some light on how you go about that problem solving business. Thanks guys. I really love the creative and yes, innovative ways you crafted solutions for some of the more maddening aspects of the purchase market. And since refis are trending down, taking a look to see how to better capture and streamline more purchase business is a wonderful focus for a 2022 operational plan. As with each of our guests, Chris and Steve welcome hearing from you if this has sparked curiosity on your part for what they offer. Their contact information is linked in the show notes for this episode. If this conversation left you wondering about other aspects of the transaction that might be ripe for some innovation, if you had questions come up about any point in the process you'd like to see transformed, let us know. Our email link is included in the notes too. And we would love to hear where it hurts, how you're frustrated, and what solutions you'd like to hear more about. We're here to help showcase options for making your work life better, because what you do really matters.